Hey, this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Beyond Trek Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Dag. In the house with me, I've got Big J and Renzo. We're here to talk to you about Picard Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters. So uh, settle up, and uh, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm excited about this because I did a fresh shave and shower. I look slick. You do. You look very nice and photoshopped. Very nice and clean. Very smooth. <laughs> Looked like I was edited in. Okay. Very smooth. Not like the demon that appears in this episode. It's definitely not smooth. The demon had, had no. trypophobia on his face. Right. Ooh. Well, getting started with it. So our episode begins in what looks like a therapy session. It's Picard and his tux that he'd been in at the ball at the gala. Uh, and he's seated across from like what looks like a Starfleet psychiatrist. He's got like three pips. He looks very serious. It is the famous and legendary uh, James Callis, the artist, the actor. And uh, he is very well known from being Gaius Baltar in Battlestar Galactica, where he is a very good character there. Unbelievable and, how he played that. Loved it. And there are such good parallels between that show and this season of Picard, too. So definitely like an intentional reference to pick him to play this role. It's mm-hmm. it's weird having James be the head character now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I remember when BSG came out, I thought it was actually... Uh, Sadig El Fadil, who was playing the character, <laughs> like I legit thought it was him. He Everyone like gets them very close, crossed. Especially because I was a, uh, I was like 25. We didn't have like all the the plethora of internet that we have now. I hadn't seen Sadig on the air in six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was a cursory. I, it wasn't like I did my research or anything like that. I didn't get like too far in before I was like, oh yeah, no, that's not Alexander. There was a photo of them online. I believe it was from Mission Chicago, but I, it might have been Facebook something. I can't remember where I was doom scrolling. But Siddig and James were in the picture together, proving that they are two separate people. Perfect. Uh, Dag, you're muted, as is our tradition. <laughs> uh, but also, there was an interview many years ago talking to the Battlestar Galactica. Uh, showrunners, producers, writers, and it was asked, to, and I'm paraphrasing, it was asked to Ronald D. Moore, the creator of the new Battlestar Galactica, if he made a conscious choice of casting James Callis in that show and his resemblance to Siddig uh, El Fadil. And he, then he couldn't unsee it. He said, no, didn't realize that, but now I can't, basically he can't unsee it now. And uh, it's very close. In fact, for a moment in that scene, when the psychiatrist is talking, I thought it was going to be Doctor Bashir. <laughs> so not that I'm dis- not disappointed at all. Uh, yeah, can hear you now. Huh? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. I wasn't on mute. That's weird. <laughs> so the universe telling me I'm not ready to speak yet. Thanks, so. Yeah, no. <laughs> but his role on Battlestar Galactica was as the brilliant but troubled scientist if you haven't seen the show who seems to have an inner demon speaking to him constantly 
advising him on things, giving him advice for things uh, that he shouldn't be able to know. Uh, the actual reveal at the end of the show is that that was an angel all along, and that's when lots of people burned their merch from that show. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Kara's oh. dis disappearance pissed off a lot of people too. I'll be honest, uh, one of my best friends was obsessed with BSG, right? And mm -hmm. he'd collected, you know that that famous picture of the whole cast doing the Last Supper posing yeah. across yes. like the dinner Absolutely. table? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He had it signed with every single member of the cast, and when the show wrapped and he saw the last episode, he sold it. He was like, nope, I don't care enough. Holy this show shit. ended with shit, so his, away this goes. Game of Thrones, yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm also not a fan of that ending. I'll be honest. I think the show should have ended after New Caprica's storyline, like or at the New Caprica storyline. But whatever. This is no longer the BSG uh, uh, Beyond BSG uh, podcast. Yeah, the final five thing definitely uh, took it for place ticket places that were not expected. But uh, yeah. you're right. It is not the Beyond Battlestar podcast. That's another show. <laughs> Happy to get into it sometime. But okay, so. In this scene, we get this sort of like psychoanalysis of Picard by a psychiatrist that's like probing questions here, probing questions there, like tries to get him to reveal things. But Picard is essentially just dodging his questions. Not that his questions are great, but they are questions that at least obliquely a psychiatrist is going to ask. Uh, you got to soften him up. I don't know. It was, the technique from the psychiatrist was pretty aggressive right like even your friends call you captain like who are you really like that's that's a it's also not a real psychiatrist so sure, <laughs> sure. but the presentation of the scene makes supposed to make us think that but yeah he's trying to coax picard into like speaking his actual inner demons and like reveal what actually bothers him about stuff um and picard is just generally evasive so yeah i think the approach fit with the kind of person that Picard is, you you have to you have to take more of a more of a hammer and chisel at him to get him to open up. Plenty of time with the psychiatrist. He spent a lot of time with a therapist, like yeah. as a counselor on the ship, and she never had to use this kind of technique to get him to reveal stuff. Because she could just read his mind. No, she could read his emotions. Not well, quite yeah. The same. So, what do you think about uh, Baltar? Not Bal not Baltar in a uh, Generations uniform. I thought it looked great on him. It was the coloration that was a little strange for me. The gray uniform made me think like, okay, maybe he's from like section 31 or some sort of like intelligence unit. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't thinking he was just a straight up generic doctor, psychiatrist, scientist in blue. So I was trying to figure out like, okay, well, who is this dude? Like, is he supposed to represent like the Kovich of this era? Like, what is he? It did. I know it was kind of sort of looking like the, uh, generations slash ds9 first four or so uh seasons but it looked different i'm not sure if that was i don't think that that was the intention behind it as much as it was like one of those kind of in transition uniforms or something that's specific to starfleet mental health services something like that uh, you're not quite a doctor or scientist to be wearing blue it's kind of like a whole different <clears throat> whole different branch and you're yeah i don't know more gray at the at the top i've always liked the 
so this is just fan canon or head canon or like just beta canon stuff mm-hmm. but that uh grays would be reserved for like intelligence and then greens would be like for the equivalent of starfleet's marines that kind of thing right in the addition right. to the three basic colors um and white would be for diplomats strict starfleet diplomats right. i like that well, um, discovery has so changed for me, white up for us i know i know it's now doctors which is cool too right like that one fits really well as well um but just the fact that I knew that stuff from beta canon or from fan head cannons and such made me think that this was some sort of like, maybe it's like a memory that he's re-experiencing sometime where he had to deal with like a section 31 interrogator and he's presenting like a psychiatrist and he's there, they're trying to extract information. I don't know. My head was going in kind of weird places during the scene, but I liked the scene. I think my favorite theory is that this scene is sort of representative because we know this scene is pulling elements from Ricard's mind into it. Uh, but I kind of thought with the Generations thing that this was a debriefing after the destruction of the Enterprise D. And he's debriefing on Rene and Robert, which is a very personal crisis that he went through after, during Generations. Interestingly, though, he calls this his ready room, right? But this is neither the D, the E, or the, like, Stargazer ready room, Well, right? I mean, it, it may be a ready room that was temporarily assigned to him between the two ships. Um, that was a detail that I was kind of like, eh, okay, I can fudge that. But more importantly to me was like, I thought he put himself in a therapy session that he had had debriefing on the Enterprise D probably prior to some kind of court martial that would have to happen because of a- yeah, It wasn't his fault. Lost. Riker crashed the so. ship. Well, you know, he nobody- He left the ship, he's still responsible. It's true. And, and it's a really weird reason why he would choose to become a Klingon prisoner in the moment, but we can get into the generations another time, but- Right. Um, Jefferson, you always want to argue with generations. <laughs> I, I can't help it. Ultimately- <laughs> I'm trying not to. <laughs> Ultimately, I just kind of felt like they, they changed the names and faces of things in his mind. But this is yeah. sort of reminiscent of when he lost the D. It's in between places. Yeah. Okay. Um, I almost thought this was like a holographic psychological program thing. But, um, yeah. you know, we definitely find out who this face belongs to by the end of this episode. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that's where my head was at when I first saw this scene, not knowing you know what would come later naturally mm-hmm. uh, but it was a good scene like i said the scene ends with uh the psychiatrist telling picard to take the floating hologram of the sun and uh that he start by thinking this tell a story involving the sun right and as like your starting point so picard starts telling the story about a queen with fiery red hair she was a woman and he gets made fun of for providing extra details there by the psychiatrist. Another example of why I thought this dude's a dick. Um, <laughs> well, but again, Picard thinks he's a dick too. Picard's no, memories it... of this person is that this person was not a safe, nice person. And that's yeah. why he's superimposed in this position because Picard yeah. doesn't like opening up and this isn't Deanna. Yeah, it's not somebody he knows and trusts. That's why, and he's, I think Picard has just guarded my nature. You add in this stranger, and he's just kind of all walled out, walled off. Yeah, no, I think Picard's behavior here is very much in character with him, mm-hmm. unless, even for his close friends, Picard is very guarded, right? Like, remember the end of uh, All Good Things? I waited way too long to come play poker with you guys. Was essentially the last bit of the sh- of the episode, right? Yes. 
seven years before he was willing to fraternize with the lower with his with his senior officers enough to play poker right that's a very reserved man and yes. the psychiatrist calls him out on it right the whole line about how like even your friends call you captain so the psychiatrist is pulling on the right threads i just think the way he's doing it is not super productive for the most part uh which makes sense then when we remember that this is just his re- imaginings of an encounter that never actually happened or right. It's is a, constructed it's from a, things. Yeah, it's a, it's a jumbled encounter based on uh, childhood trauma and and other things. Mm-hmm. Well, Beverly always leaned more towards calling him John Luke, more so than anyone else, of course. Anyone else, it yeah, sounded he, odd. That's one of those exceptions that proves the rule. Like, Beverly was special. Everybody else called him Captain. Well, yeah, I it's... mean, Raffi called him JL for all of last season. Right. Interestingly... I think it's... Raffi's canon history is she's always called him JL. Okay. Like ever right. since she was his attaché in investigating the the Romulan super pending Romulan supernova, she just got she just started calling him JL basically from the start. I wonder if we're taking the Spock and McCoy pretty much always called Captain Kirk Jim and expecting that Picard should have senior officer or two that would kind of be on that same level but no and that's been brought up before throughout the run of of tng is that he just seems to be so formal and so walled off walled off and guarded and you're right beverly special she's pretty much the only one that says now i can only think of rarely and i believe it was just only in Riker right ever called yes Right. Yeah. Yeah, and right. He's got to loosen up some. Do you remember the fan outcry when Rafi was calling him JL and how oh, inappropriate yeah. people thought that was? It, I this remember is part that. of it because she, everybody thought that he should be addressed as Admiral. Like even the fans are kept at arm's length from this character. <laughs> I mean, Rios has been calling him Admiral this entire season too, right? Sure. And Rios is like treating him like his adoptive father. And as far as anybody on this cast goes, I feel like. Picard treats Rios like an adoptive son. Elnor, yes, but Elnor was kept at arm's length for decades. Yeah. Right? So You know what that you know what it reminds me of, and I don't know if this really has anything to do with it, but one of my neighbors, I still refer to he and his wife as Mr. and Miss like I always did when I was a kid. You know, I'm a grown ass adult, but I still do that. Same yeah. with someone, if, if I knew a coach in high school or whatever, that's no longer a coach, which I've run across, still call him coach. It's it's just, you get you get familiar with it and it's just, it sticks. Right there with you, right? So my best friend from middle elementary, middle school and high school, uh, his parents were Mr. and Mrs. Felipe. Yeah. Even though they did not want, she did not want me to call her Miss Felipe or Mrs. Felipe for very long. By like high school, she was just telling me, call me Lou, call me Lou, call me Lou. Nope, nope, nope. I, I saw him like a couple years ago, just before the pandemic. And even then, hi, how you doing, Miss Felipe? How's it just everything? Doesn't again, feel right. Call me Lou. So, <laughs> I'm not saying your first name doesn't feel right. <laughs> exactly. It, it's just what you become accustomed to as, as a point of respect, right? So yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't think that the whole not calling, not letting people call you anything other than captain is all that crazy i'm sure that most starfleet captains probably maintain some level of professional distance from their crews yeah um but it's still something that a 
a psychiatrist is going to tug on when you're trying to understand what is the who are you inside right like this is the same thing that Rafi brought up at the beginning of the season remember when it was like you can turn off your emotions but the rest of us have to feel things essentially like mm-hmm. you can fake your emotions the rest of us actually have them uh Rafi was distraught and freaking out it's not like she was really thinking about it but that's yeah. really something that she thought about before uh, oh, yeah. anyways this scene just continues with like the card describing this queen with red hair uh, a sorcerer who lost his powers uh, they're trying to slay a noble prince uh, and he's clearly just trying to tell his own story in this fictionalized fantastical situation um, that he goes into details about how like the queen tells uh, the prince that he would be expected to lift people up to lead them with inspiring speeches uh, but the prince doesn't think he can and this is all literally just Picard telling his own story fictionalized so it's it's an interesting way to approach telling this story. Um, Am I the only one that kind of thinks that this is not quite necessary? Do we, how badly do we really need this whole, the whole storyline of what he's going through in his head? I may be in the minority, but I just, I just kind of feel like this is slowing down. So- Here's here's something interesting. My mom was really upset about the speed of the season. She was like, we're five episodes in, because this was back then. We're five episodes in. We've barely gotten anywhere. So far, we're just trying to, like, handle little hijinks that get in the way. We don't even know what the big problem is. Um, Exactly. and, And I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, you know, Star Trek recently has definitely dived into mental and emotional well-being and handling those things and coping with those things as part of their plot points. In addition to that, I absolutely suspect that the character growth that's happening in these scenes that feel like they're just languishing and wasting time is going to be essential to changing what happened at the beginning of the season. I think that the character growth, the lessons that are going to be learned are going to play a role in making a different choice and it goes back to all good things when q is lambasting picard and talking about in that infinitesimal moment you were open to ideas you would never have considered choices you never would have made and i think that that's going to be the ethos that's going to have to play through picard's decision when faced with the faceless queen again so i'm with you right like Big J, I agree. It definitely does slow down the season. No disagreement there, right? right? But I think that the reason why they're slowing it down is actually pretty good. Um, So this was one of the complaints people had about Discovery season three and four. Their pacing was unpredictable. Everything happens all at once. Nothing happens for a couple scenes. Everything (laughs) happens all, nothing happens, and so forth and so on, right? Right. Here we've just had a slow burn, right? It seems like there's a lot going on some episodes, but really there's not. It's just been like a slow buildup of everything getting into the right places this scene i think is just here or this these scenes because there are several of them are just here to show us uh why picard behaves in certain situations the way he does why he is such a gallant noble statesman-like diplomat sometimes and then other times it's like fuck it the line must be drawn here kind of thing right Right. because those are two different approaches to similar situations that could be handled in either way right um, but here, we're going to try and understand a bit more about Picard, because we don't really know much about Picard's like, childhood. We know that he never liked his dad. We hadn't really heard of his mom much until this season. He hated his her. brother. 
ones. Yeah, he and his brother did not get along until they fucking fought each other in a field, yeah. like amongst the vines of grapes. So like right. his childhood has been traumatic. Uh, uncovering some of that in the character, I think is important, right? And well, they're doing it in a way, and I want to point this out, that I think is very healthy. Because you see this in some shows and some movies that like your trauma, the trauma that you've overcome, your damage, uh, helps you become stronger. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good way to present things. I think it is a healthier way to present things as your trauma is a part of you. Doesn't mean it makes you stronger or weaker. It's just a part of you and you have to accept that. Um, but doesn't mean you have to like grow from it. Not all trauma helps you grow. Right. So. right. I think the one thing that I thought of that was bothering me about this whole plot line, one is if it, if it doesn't tie directly into the the change of decision that Picard makes once we're back on the Stargazer with the Faceless Queen, I it would further say that, well, but that, okay, that was a complete waste. What was that for? The other thing also is I'm having a hard time believing if they go the route, Renzo, that you're talking about, that it's somehow in his childhood that something reliving and, and going through there is what affects the choices and decisions he makes in regards to what happens on the stargazer with the Borg queen i would think if anything it would have been something more in adult life that's that's just me for example i i can't There's think more of more to this story they tell us that numerous times right like yeah i just wish they would get to it you know it, it's dag's right it we're five episodes in and dag's mom well yeah yeah sorry dag's mom dag's Uh, mom watches the show by the way so say hi 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 dag's mom (laughs) (laughs) in fact from my understanding like half of dag's family watches the show i learned that from the wedding it's true nice i think everybody at the wedding has seen the show at some point or another i have a friend totally off subject i have a friend who just recently discovered star trek because she is with child and she's got not a whole lot to do i guess and so she's watching through Star Trek on the TV, and she's like, "Okay, I need to link to your podcast now because I need to understand what this is all about." I'm like, all right. <laughs> Here it be. Awesome. Good. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, please go ahead, BJ. I didn't mean to interrupt too much. Mm. That that was that was just kind of I I put myself in the the shoes of Picard, and I can't think of a single thing from that age in, in childhood that would have affected or influenced any bad decision I made that could have been better, like what happens with Picard. Just me. I, you know, uh, you I know. think that, that means thing. you just had a good childhood then. You, hmm? could, you could have had a good childhood. Yeah. Um, but one thing about childhood trauma is that chi- trauma scales with age. So okay. if you're a small child and, and you get attacked by a big dog and you look at that in retrospect and you're like, I'm an adult, a big dog can't hurt me like a big dog can hurt a small child. That's one thing, but you're not afraid of the big dog. You're afraid of the thing that was bigger than you that hurt you when you were too small to defend yourself. There's not a lot of hard like data that goes into childhood trauma. It scales with age and it's scarier with age and we're always afraid of those moments. It's why a lot of people mm-hmm. have that, um, freeze moment when confronted with things that happened to them in the past because as a kid you can't defend yourself from those things and you freeze as you relive the moment of that 
So I'm really interested in, you know, we saw it with Kid Picard here. He was left in that little dungeon area, and he's like, I have to stay here. I have to wait for my mom to find me. And um, it's just one example of, you know, what I'm hoping, again, like I did last season, was a payoff. But last season, everything fell into place in the last episode. So we'll see what happens. I'll reserve judgment for the very last episode of the season when we finally discover everything we're wanting to know. And I do say that sarcastically. It was Gary Seven's fault all along. Yes. Yeah. All right. So this whole like little montage of him telling the story and then like the actual seeing the little kid Picard doing things, it ends up with them uh, running down to the basement. The tunnel is under the house with the queen uh, being pulled away by a monster working in the shadows kind of thing. So weird that they got Black Panther in this episode. Okay, that's a take. You're going to have to explain that Audience, one to me. What do you think? You can see this picture. It's very clearly Black Panther. That's like definitely like Soulstone powered, though. <laughs> I don't know I, if I you're looking at the same image as I am. It, it's just the, the the one where it was like the face in the glass and you see like the eyes light up. That one. Big oh, thing. I was getting Batman vibes. I know the picture talking about. Really? Yeah. Batman in the middle of a yes. fantastical jungle. Batman wouldn't be caught dead there. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right. So then we cut to seeing Picard back inside of Teresa's uh, clinic with little things on the sides of his head and he's kind of like convulsing a little bit having a bad dream so looks pretty serious mm -hmm. um so we go back to the uh now we're seeing it from a different perspective this is after the intro uh raffi's just out loud wondering what's going on inside of picard's head uh seven is at this point bringing up the point that somebody should have said sooner like where the hell is gerardi like, where is she it's too quiet here where's you're right it's no no one really said anything about her being missing they're they've traveled back in time they've got to watch pretty much everything they do so as not to do a butterfly effect thing but yet they went quite some time without wondering where the only person in our group is at little I mean, suspect so it's only been a couple hours since the gala right like they're in mm -hmm. the morning they clearly stayed overnight at that at the clinic um and they should definitely be worrying about where she is but missing her when they had to rush across to the clinic less crazy to me right like if you're not there with a the group you get left behind immediately we can catch up with you after because otherwise picard dies on the floor so oh uh, yeah yeah i it's it's a little bit i had beef with that but yeah i'll just i'll just roll with you it see my point though right like yeah. if they didn't need her to go get the card medical attention they just probably figured that she would check in but she doesn't because org nonsense yeah <laughs> yeah uh but yeah so seven even points out the whole uh spontaneous singing at the gala then rios reports that actually she kissed me uh, like force, like, like she kissed me, and uh -huh. Raffi is very <laughs> curious about that. So, not that I'm complaining, but yeah, she kissed me. 
<laughs> that yeah, was so, the, that was what I the that vibe, was vibe I got from I him. <laughs> I I kind of agree, although he seems far more interested in Teresa at the moment than in Gerardi. Agnes. Um, sure. I'm still convinced that Rios stays. I hope not. The way that he is in love with the the 21st century, I'm convinced that this Rios stays. Mm-hmm. And this is, Dag, I think you're right. And this is why I say this. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched the trailer or heard any news about season three of Picard. But to me, it feels like everyone in this show this this is it this is it for for them in this season season three is strictly going to be picard with his next gen crew so i think whatever they decide to do with the season one and two picard crew they're pretty much at liberty to do whatever because they're not coming back you know i would like to believe that but i also don't want to set myself up for disappointment i think we're bringing back the TNG crew, but they're not all going to be together, guns blazing. I think there's going to be a path woven between one or two or maybe three at the most of them uh, with these characters from the last I'll go on a limb. I actively hope you're wrong. I actively <laughs> hope that they have the TNG cast on for like cameo kind of things. Maybe they're around for a couple episodes, but like I don't want a TNG I'm, reunion I'm, show. I'm not saying that like I'm not saying that I don't want that. Like, I want them. I would love yes. for, for the TNG crew to get back together, guns blazing, let's go, let's do it. But I'm protecting my sanity. I think that's what's going to happen. Well, in, in any case, I hope not. Re regardless of how we think season three is, is going to go and what they may do with these characters now, I do also agree with the feeling that Rios is staying behind. And there can always be another Rios. Yeah, sure. time travel shenanigans, timey-wimey wobbly bullshit. Maybe, okay. maybe this is how he turns out to be his own great-great-grandfather. No, we're not doing any predestination paradox. Oh, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> but I don't think Jay knows that the the symbol from the clinic was on the medical boxes on the La Serena at the beginning of the series, so... No, I missed that. Yeah. Again, I think that... I'm not the sure that that's symbol. something... The butterfly hmm. Why would there be a butterfly on the medical crates and a butterfly in the clinic at the same time, Renzo? Because the whole episode or the whole season has references to the butterfly effect, so they're oh. just kind of like throwing us a bone on that. So Boo. the medical supplies with the butterfly on them are nothing to do with the medical clinic that had the butterfly on it? Come I don't on, know. Renzo. I'm Play just ball. not sure. I don't want to jump to that one's conclusions. <laughs> I bought in. Maybe man. they just reused a prop. That would be terrible. <laughs> Yeah, that would be I mean, we're not talking sane bird of prey explosion two movies in a row. <laughs> <laughs> we save money between generations and, 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 and Undiscovered Country for that, though. Uh, not I know, to mention right? that scene was reused like 50 times on DS9. <laughs> hey, it was uh, a very nice explosion. <laughs> All right, so... Have Seven and Raffi gotten back to La Serena yet? That's where we are right now. Okay. Uh, they they return. Uh, Rios is staying with Picard. Uh, and Rios asked Talon if she was sure her jury rigged mind meld would work. And uh, Talon is like, nope, not at all, which is an honest answer. Uh, we see her pulling these things out of like her case at this point. So it's pretty cool. 
now we see uh, Rafi and Seven back on La Sirena, and Rafi's like, I don't like the idea of Gerardi and Rios getting back together. Uh, I think I'll quit the gang if that does happen. <laughs> Seven thinks it's funny. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Rafi and Seven banter about they're getting their own relationship back together. They're the main event. We'll grow old together and be happy sitting on a park bench, tripping teenagers on floaty things. And then Seven responds with, and I'll be much better at it than you. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is I great. I think the relationship seeing a relationship between seven of nine and Rafi to me, I can buy that a whole lot more than I can Rios and Agnes. That just seems like a mismatch to me. Like I'm not surprised that it didn't work out. Uh, You know, I think that was a bad rumor started by someone that was not happy in their marriage. Mm. Anyways, so they start trying to figure out where uh, Girardi is. They go sit down on the consoles at the front of La Sirena and the controls go blank as soon as they start touching it. Uh, they're locked out, things are encrypted. Seven immediately uh, determines that this is encryption of Borg origin. Uh, so she comes to the conclusion very quickly that the Borg couldn't take control of Girardi. Wanna know something really funny about the display that shows the Borg thing? Mm-hmm. It's a Borg font that I have. You can actually translate that into an alpha character. It's great. Ooh. Oh, nice. At least it wasn't an Omega, because that would be the worst lockout. By Dom yeah. Bob. So you speak Borg now. Okay. We or at least you can, under- you can understand it. <laughs> we are from Klaatu. <laughs> <laughs> Help All us right. out here, Renzo. So We're like two out. scenes in, and we've been recording for an hour. No. Back to the clinic. Uh, Talon attaches uh, the devices to Picard's head. She puts on like this earpiece, which has a very suspicious point yeah. in the ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Dag and I called that one, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Obnoxiously obvious. Which I've, I've got something to say about that. Remind me later. Sure. Uh, I'll, anyways. I'll write myself a note. Good, good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Uh, she sits down and activates the device. Her eyes go white. She goes inside the card subconscious. Uh, they're under the Chateau Picard, so they're inside of the catacombs or whatever, the tunnels. Um, and then we cut back to Picard in the psychiatrist's office. Uh, he starts, like, getting pretty angry at the psychiatrist uh, that he's the judge and jury of all things meritorious is one of the accusations. Um, this is where we get the thing that you guys mentioned before about human psychology being a lesser model, but a Betazoid wouldn't get through your walls. Uh, so it's kind of a bleak situation that we're seeing for, for Picard, right? Like he seems like he's really backed into a corner by this psychiatrist. Which I think maybe that's where he needs to be because he's not going to be very open and forthcoming on his own if you go with the with the nice approach but again that's that's just me i mean i'm not a psychiatrist what do i know that's the kind of therapy i like though the one that's like up front call me on my bullshit you like aggressive negotiations i like aggressive therapy Mm-hmm. anyways the the psychiatrist then reports to picard that he's going to recommend that he be relieved of command lest he take his crew on a suicide mission just to feel something there are thousands of ways to die in space and so forth and so on. 
So that that uh, gets a rise out of Picard though, saying those words. Yep. There's a thousand Why? ways to die out there. Because it gets repeated. Do you think later it was on. that that got the rise or the threat to get him relieved from command? No, it was he literally says there's a thousand ways to die out there, and then later in the episode as Maurice, he says there's a thousand ways to die out there. That's why it triggers him. Mm. Mm. Well, when okay. I say trigger, I don't mean he goes off. I just mean he looks at him here in this scene. He goes, "What did you say?" Mm-hmm. It, it's it's striking a chord with him. So Picard tries to continue the story that he's making up. That's basically his childhood. Uh, Talon is in the dungeons exploring Picard's subconscious. There were a couple audio clips when she first boots into the Matrix. There, uh, we hear "I am Locutus of Borg." We hear a, a bit from the Inner Light. We hear sentences from major Picard episodes. There was one from There Are Four Lights. Um, like There were many traumatic episodes, especially psychologically traumatic episodes uh, referenced in this little opening bit. I picked up the ones from Best of Both Worlds Part 1. Uh, I In the inner light, that makes sense, but I believe I completely missed what it was he said that was from uh, there Chain are four command. lights episode shit what was that one called chain of command. it's probably not that important but Ensigns yeah i just command, missed it. But oh, yeah. chain of command chain of command chain that's of what command. it is sorry i was trying to read your lips because you didn't actually say anything that time i was whispering <laughs> and apparently my audio is not capturing that so there we go no. yeah ensigns of command was s3e2 i believe it sounds about right, right. anyway going back to the plot of this episode um talon is talking to john luke the little john luke trying to convince him that she's here to help he's like no i have to stay here uh they start hearing more rattling noises the doors start being shaken right he he picard explains little picard explains that his mother had been taken by one of the monsters um and everything in the dungeons is on the monster's side and that's when the doors slam shut again and they seem like they're trapped and then the prince takes Talon and leads her deeper into the dungeons. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything more. Yeah. Back to the psychiatrist's office we go. Yeah. Uh, at this point, the psychiatrist is like, our hour-long session was up and you can leave at any time. Which really reminded me of the Kovich scene with Culber, where it's like, you've got 30 minutes. I've got a 6.30 kind of thing. Yes. And then... One thing out. that I really like about the set that they're in here is it reminds me of when Cisco was um, Admiral uh, Ross, Admiral Ross's attaché on that station yeah. after DS9 had been taken. And that's the vibe that I'm feeling here. That's why I think this is Picard's ready room in between assignments. You could be right. I mean, uh, it's total maybe. speculation. This is inside his head. Who knows what this room really yeah. is? But it just seems to me that between the Enterprise destruction and the Enterprise-E's launch, Picard needs a place to do business. He's still a captain in the fleet. But he doesn't have a ship. I don't know why he'd have a ready room rather than just an office. True. Well, and, but that's what he calls his office, is his ready room. And maybe that's just what he called it. Maybe. That, that's a good point. So I have, like, four different names for the room I'm sitting in right now. So, Yeah. So I could I could see where to him, he could be calling it ready room, office, 
so on and so forth. It's also like a temporary office. He doesn't plan on staying here. He probably already knows that the Sovereign class is well in the design phase and is going to be prototyping soon. There will be a USS Sovereign that's documented in, Yeah. Uh, what is it, The Sum of All Fears or something like that? I don't remember the name of the episode. Renzo, go. Okay, so they go back and forth, this... this description of Picard as being ethical, diplomatic, and cultured, an affinity for the arts, intellectual thought, but perpetually untethered from the ways of the heart is what he's accused of being, which we know that uh, Laris would agree with him because he is emotionally distant. He doesn't have that part of his life. He even questions it himself when he goes to see Guinan in the first episode, right? So this, this scene is definitely analyzing the deep psyche of Picard and making him question it, which is occasionally healthy. Uh, he gets told that he is very difficult to be open with, let people in. Um, oh boy, don't we know it. Yeah. And then Picard starts uh, hearing the sounds of banging doors and asks like, what it is, and then the psychiatrist seems to distract him of that. It's the ever-righteous John Luke, right? Like... It, it's a very bizarre scene like the almost dreamlike quality of these scenes uh lends for them to be misinterpretable right like you can interpret these things many ways yeah i can see that uh anyways uh so back to the dungeons talon and the princeling are continuing to flee a monster it's hiding in the knight a knight's armor right and then it reaches out and starts grabbing at them uh, they have to find a white door, uh, but it's never in the same place for long. Like, this is their whole quest. Like, it sounds like a D&D adventure. Oh, it uh, does, doesn't it? Dag, that, that would be right up your alley. Well, both of you guys on the D&D metaphors. Hmm. <laughs> then the horned monster grabs the prince. And then the one that has trypophobia face uh, grabs Talon by the throat. It's just so. Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. It's fine. <laughs> I would love some Ryan Reynolds in Star Trek. He'd probably enjoy it too. Oh my god! We do have Ryan Reynolds. His name is Rios. <laughs> Maybe a... in the Tarantino movie we can get Ryan Reynolds in it. Oh, oh my god! And you're suggesting a Tarantino Star Trek? Well, I'm not sure on that. I don't want to see it happen. First. That would be amazing. Get some Samuel L. Jackson up in there. I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking starship. <laughs> and then he starts shooting Cardassians. But um. <laughs> All right. So cutting back to Teresa's clinic, um, Teresa shows up with Ricardo, her son. He's wearing a little space uh, helmet, and Rios is bantering like, "Oh, a nice little EVA suit." He's nine. Oh, it's a nice little spaceman costume. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was great. Um. She has... goes to go look at Picard, uh, but the door is locked, and she gets right up into Rios's face. This is my clinic. You don't lock me out of any place. She asserts her authority correctly, and then uh, he, she, she's allowed into the room. He unlocks the door, and she sees what's going on with the white milked eyes on Talon, the weird device, and she was her shit, which is completely correct for a doctor to do yeah well to me i think the attitude that rios has about this 
of Deanna Troy from First Contact, at some point, you just need to give up on the whole we're, we're normal people that are just here. You've, you've got to just say, you know what? We're from outer space. We're from the future. Shit's going down. We're going to get things done if we just get, get rid of the whole facade and, and just roll with it, hope for the best. And I think that's why Rios caved a, a little easier than maybe expected. It yeah, just to me, I mean, it didn't sound like you put up a whole lot of fight considering, all right, no matter what I do, we can't reveal that we're from the future. Rios has always been kind of ready to play it fast and loose on temporal stuff in this season. Like, he hasn't yeah. been the one that's been anal about it. He wanted to go with his gun or with a phaser out there, had to be told, no, leave that behind. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Rios is of the captaincy, of the captains that are going to have friends with temporal investigations. I feel like temporal investigations would probably hate Rios. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah so he tells uh, Teresa to keep an open mind and she still like loses it and she's right to do so she is right to freak out um, and then Rios is like slowly walking towards her and she like calls him like why are you walking towards me like a serial killer <laughs> and then again she is right to freak out because that was a very weird suspicious bit going on uh, so Rio says that he needs to try and explain but I need to do it without breaking time. So right. he made it sound more confusing by saying how he needed to explain the confusing situation. Listen, she's from a world where Marvel movies exist. She's probably seen Doctor Who, right? Like she can understand the concept of time travel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for anyone who is not sure what we're talking about, I think it was a, a two reviews back that we canonized the Marvel Cinematic Universe is taking place in the Star Trek universe. There's Theory that day. But yeah, some overlap. We won't get into that too much. Yeah. All right. So uh, Talon starts having some convulsions at this point uh, as the creature inside of Picard's mind is like strangling her. Uh, it's not her journey, the monster is saying. Uh, but Talon knows how to fight, so she headbutts him, rips the chains off, and. Uh, demands the release of the prince uh and the monster just like laughs at her so she may not be supposed to be there but she can at least fight back she's not powerless inside of picard's mind um teresa says that he's not responding to the medication uh so we need to go to the hospital uh because she's not equipped to handle this so rios does probably the most hilarious thing i've ever i I think from this episode he's like uh, I need to calls, do Hickey. Yeah, calls the the La Sirena and asks for like a stabilizer for Picard's brain, right? <laughs> and a device just like appears in his hands while she's looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, her face is great. The actress does a fantastic job conveying the what the fuckery of this moment for her. <laughs> um, yeah. Delightful, delightful. Um, and I think that I think that Ricardo is also there in the room, though I'd have to go rewatch the scene to see where he is because he was right there with them too. So I didn't see him in the scene, but I think it would probably be safe to assume that he's in that room because he is a very nosy kid. Oh yes. So he's somewhere in there. Yep. So he hands to 
he hands to Teresa the neural stabilizer, a neural oscillator, uh, and he tells her to use it on Picard to save his life, <laughs> which is crazy. Because, and she's another, what the fuck? Yeah. Which is crazy, because if anybody should do this, it should be him, because at least he knows where the buttons are on it. She has no idea what she's doing. Wave a shiny light over it, and it'll make it feel better kind of thing. Don't we remember when they had the magic wand of crazy in the last season that was just like, you just imagine what you want, and it works. That's true. They got that from uh, the synths, Cophelia Station. Yeah. So it's like, what if they still have that? They're just like, here, have this thing. Just imagine how it works. <laughs> weird very yep, weird. weird but yeah so she does it and the card stabilizes which is presumably because of the device though not necessarily right because talon is fighting off the monsters in his head so maybe he stabilized because of talon fighting back against the monsters it's not actually clear but it was very much felt like a reference to that lower decks bit where mariner is like just wave the shiny light over it it'll and it'll make it feel better kind of thing <laughs> very tongue-in-cheek with how Star Trek uses some of its technology but I agree with you just because she's a doctor doesn't mean she's going to know the first thing what to do with 25th century technology so but I could I could see Rios was just it was so he was so far out of his comfort zone or element like okay this is even though this is a medical device device from the future I'm not a doctor I actually think, so if, if I'm trying to rationalize it, I actually think that Rios did it this way on purpose. He could have done it himself, but he wanted to get her to understand that these things are real. This isn't in her head, right? All you have to do with the neural oscillator is pull it, put it near a head of someone whose brain needs it, and it automatically does it. It's all automated, right? But he wanted her to feel like she's a part of this or something to get her more on his side of like, this is real this isn't craziness this, i'm the good guy you just saved his life with this thing okay that's that's more what okay. i'm thinking is going on but still it's silly that he didn't just save the card's life himself but whatever yeah i get you uh and then we get the best line from the episode to me which uh teresa asks rios if he's from outer space and his response is no i'm from chile I only work in outer space. <laughs> Straight reference, obviously, to Star Trek uh, Four with Kirk yeah. saying the same thing of being from Iowa. He just works in outer space. So <laughs> great, love it. That's the kind of like. That's what I'm talking about. Kitschy stuff that just sells me on stuff. <laughs> I like I like those callbacks. I like okay. So the second thing we got from Star Trek Four this season. Not the second. There's been way more. Besides uh, Dude on the Bus and his boombox, and now... I'm sure there's more. So one of those threads on Reddit that just lists all the canon like references probably <clears throat> has like 30 by now. Okay, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't go there anymore, so yeah, you could be very much correct. Dag, you got anything? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, so uh, back to the dungeon. Talon finds the princeling on the floor... Uh, she kicks the door open, picks him up, uh, and takes his hand as they, like, walk through that doorway together. Uh, so, back to La Sirena. Raffi is happy that the replicators still work, and the transporters, even if they can't use the ship's main sensors and main computers. So, she's got two cups of coffee, 
you know, Seven picked up her coffee addiction from Janeway at some point. Good to know. Uh, Seven thinks that she's cracking the encryption. It's based on code that she had seen as part of the collective. So even though Seven doesn't have her enhancements to make her better at things, she still has her memories of her time in the collective. So she's just working through it. She may not be able to calculate like spatial jump trajectories for orbital insertion through time, but she can still remember how to hack something. So cool. And she still knows what she can recognize it when she sees it. Right. Yeah, she she's still an incredible character, even if she doesn't have her Borg enhancements. Mm hmm. Uh, Seven talks about how she's starting the how she thought the Jurati had purged all the Borg code, but she found this recording of Jurati dressed for the gala, introducing Borg code into the ship through her fingertips. Um, terrifying there. It also suggests that there is something physical if Jurati, it's not just all in her head. So that's a, that is a new bit of information for us. So, so where she's at should be a little more of a priority to figure out than they have up to this point, almost not even noticing that she's, well, which I think is the point of this scene, right? Yeah. It's them realizing, oh, shit. <laughs> we forgot someone. There she is. Oh, shit. Looks like she's been assimilated. Yep. All right. So back to the subconscious. Uh, Picard's office just melts away. He's back in his house. Uh, Talon and the princeling enter. Uh, Picard is confused again to see her. They start talking a bit. Uh, the the psychiatrist is now here and he's revealed to be the monster by the prince uh and here's where we figure it out that you know the psychiatrist is maurice picard his dad right and he yeah. starts saying he starts explaining the whole thing about his mother uh isn't just the perfect image she's also deeply troubled uh so i think it's a reference to her potentially having like schizophrenia or maybe mm -hmm. uh, a mul multiple personalities or something to that effect um, so that's what I picked up from it. Yeah, it's it's interesting though, right? Because a lot of kids do have rose tinted memories of some people and then very negative memories of others when the reality is probably a bit more neutral. So, do you think that she possibly had Munchausen syndrome? Munchausen's is, or is, is it Munchausen by proxy? Uh, let, let me let me look it up. I just to make I was sure. really so, I was really upset with this twist. I really did not like it. This is what I love about Google. I typed M U and it finished with Munchausen syndrome. Because it's probably looked it up before. I've never looked it up. It's listening to you, Jay. So Munchausen is when you use some sort of like illness or you cause illness or disease in yourself to get yourself attention. You make up having trauma. You do yeah. that, right? Munchausen by proxy is when you use your child to do it, right? Like you get your right. child, you get them sick so that they have attention and you get attention by proxy. Okay, so it doesn't, no, it doesn't feel like it's that. My, my dilemma with the way this is shaping up is, first of all, um, I let my personal feelings about what I know about Patrick Stewart's childhood take the reins there. And if you're not familiar with Patrick Stewart's childhood, if you're listening to this, um, Patrick Stewart's mother was abused by his father. And he has become a major advocate in um, supporting women in abusive situations and abusive relationships and things like that. 
I was thinking they were going to incorporate that into this season of Picard to show that Maurice wasn't a great dad. We already knew Maurice wasn't a great dad, but we didn't know anything about Picard's mom other than one imagined hallway scene in one episode 35 years ago. And I was really, really hoping they were going to go with the domestic abuse angle because it's not something that's represented a lot in media in general and science fiction almost ever. Um, again, there's that BSG reference when Kara was living with what's-his-name for however long on New Caprica. But um, mm -hmm. flipping it into a mental health issue where Picard just incorrectly blamed his dad for his mom's issues... I, I don't like it. I don't know if I can really put my finger on why, but I feel like if they were going to take this angle, what they should have done has as is misdirected us into thinking mom had some kind of mental health issue at first, and then flipping it into it being the domestic health issue with we dad still get that. gaslighting young Picard. Into we might still get that's that. What happened. I would be okay with that too. If they flip it again, sure, that's great. But you know, again, and then there's the the in universe justification. Why in the 24th century didn't we just take mom to somebody who could help with this? Why does dad have to lock her in the tunnel below Chateau Picard so she can uh -huh. handle these episodes herself? If they flipped it into an abuse issue, we know that abuse stems from power seeking. Right. And somebody who has abusive tendencies and power seeking may not pursue mental health issues. There is a thing called battered woman syndrome. It it could exist in the 24th century where where Jean-Luc's mother, Yvette, I'm going to go with Yvette. We haven't actually said her name. So the, she actually may not be Yvette Picard. She could be another person and Yvette could be stepmom. Who knows? True. But um, if they had gone with the abuse angle dad with the power issues is keeping mom from reporting these things and he himself is refusing treatment because he doesn't think anything wrong with him that would speak more loudly to the issue and if they bring that up later that's okay that's great but again that just again delays the progress of the actual plot which is what's q's ultimate plan and why do the Sungs play into that Yes. We just don't know enough about Q's real plot here right. at all. And they're taking a sweet-ass time getting to it. They Another sure frustrating are. thing. We're doing character growth like we've never done it before. We just so had to wait yeah. until Jean-Luc was a hundred and something years old, or almost a hundred and something years old. So here's the problem, right? With seasons uh -huh. being only 10 episodes, 12 episodes, 15 episodes, right? Having an episode devoted to character exploration feels dramatically wasteful almost right mm -hmm. whereas when you have an episode in a season or two episodes in a season of 26 it feels like it's a lot less even though we had way more time devoted per season in tng than just one or two one or two hours per character it's funny you say that because i'm immediately thinking of the dark page and it's not an episode that i care about a lot but it gave deanna and deanna's mom a ton of character growth in an episode yes. that takes place like this character in somebody's head trying to deal with traumas nice bottle episode by the way because it takes place entirely on the enterprise but um it is not one of my favorite episodes for that reason we deal with we deal with mama troy's traumas 
and it doesn't have an impact on the crew other than it's kind of a shoehorn Deanna episode, but it's really a Loaxana episode. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you could do that. You had more time to be able to have an episode or more devoted to each character, each season. Even a secondary character. Sure. Right. It just, to me, I'll say again, it, it feels like and this is where I hope that all of this comes to a point where it was worth it. And the more we talk about Picard's mom and what she went through, kind of a, yeah, kind of a gaslighting situation or Picard remembers her a lot differently because he had these rose colored goggles on for his mother but wasn't really seeing the full picture and just took what he saw at face value and I'm wondering if that then again plays into if if that is what plays more into his reaction to the, the faceless boar queen on the stargazer is that he's taking a face value type situation He's he was not um, he did not consider that there was a different story. Like, for example, he was he was fixed, transfixed on his dad being the bad guy and, and, and his mom being this perfect person. But what he didn't realize was that it wasn't that. It's, it's not that he was a bad person per se. It's just that that was how that that was just how it ended up looking yes as a kid you don't really understand that and you're trying to have fun with your mom when she has one of these episodes and then suddenly she's terrified of something and then your dad comes running and disappears with her while she is having this episode and it sounds like dad is doing horrible things but mom's having an episode and dad's just trying to help her through it while also protecting his kid from anything mom might do yeah, I mean, she got pulled out with a straitjacket on her, for Christ's sake. For all we know, all he was doing was trying to, like, give her her medicine, right? Like, maybe she has, like, a lithium equivalent in the 24th century, right. and she just has to take her medicine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. like, we don't know. We just don't know. Which is why I really like the fact that Talon and Picard go through this dialogue, too, of, like, there's more to this story, isn't there? And I'm hoping that they do tell us more. I would appreciate um, that. So... I think that we're just kind of jumping to conclusions based on incomplete knowledge at this point. We but have that's nothing what we do. else to do. That's, that's what we do. <laughs> so, Okay, but here's also where we hear that line again about thousand ways to die down there, mm -hmm. which is a fair point. I hadn't really realized the connection between, like, die out there space, die down there, the tunnels, the tunnels, rather. So... Right, uh, and I mean, yeah. these, these were tunnels that Picard said his family had escaped through during the Nazi occupation. So we don't know yeah. what's down there, which is why they're so perilous. And we even see that when Picard steps through the plank and he cannot escape. Yeah, and he gets stuck there until Maurice pulls him out of it, so. I, I kind of had a hard time with that. Why? But I'm not going <laughs> to... Really? He couldn't get his foot out of that? He's having a panic attack. He's freaking out. Like stopping and thinking about how to get your foot out of something is. There's, there's an old horror story, 
and mm-hmm. uh, I will I'll NSFW our content warning. This is just a, a scary story from one of those scary stories to tell in the dark. But basically, it's about you know a woman and, and her friends were at a cemetery and they were joking around. They're like, "Oh, go to the go to the gravestone and stab a knife in it and say some weird incantation and then come back." And so she goes and she stabs the knife and she says the incantation and she gets to turn around and something grabs her and she can't get away from it and she falls over and she actually dies of fright. And her Ooh. friends come and find her. She had stabbed the knife through her dress into the ground and that's what she thought had grabbed her. Picard's in a similar situation here. He's stuck. He, he can't. He's just paralyzed with, with the fight or flight and, and the rational brain is not saying, hey, dislodge your foot bro you're good <laughs> yeah he's terrified that a monster is going to eat him or drag him into the cellars or throw him over the side of the moat filled with alligators right like he doesn't well, know if that's the on. case then get your damn foot out of the thing and run when was the last time you felt it's real paralyzing thinker. fear when right? i felt real paralyzing fear yeah um you know i can't i don't think i ever had Jay is six i'm not foot just five Right, I'm I'm six five over three hundred pounds. You know, I, right? I, I get it. Right, like he's There's a no... little kid, right? Like that's a little kid whose mom just ran off while screaming that something was coming to get them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's now stuck, and he's hearing banging noises from her running around, and he's afraid that something's going to happen. I don't think rational maneuvering your foot is gonna is gonna happen. And maybe you're right. I. I can't relate to that because honestly, I can't think of any scenario that I've ever been in that was it's been, the perilous fear, the thought that okay, this is it. It's been like I'm gonna 35 die. years since Jay was less than six feet tall. <laughs> I mean, my only one, my only time where I was in that situation, it didn't matter if you were 300 pounds of pure muscle it wouldn't have made a difference i was on an airplane so mm-hmm. being 300 pounds probably make things worse nah. so. oh no 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 okay I, I take it back i remember when I, I i didn't know it at the time but when i had a kidney stone i thought that that was it that i was going to die because i didn't know what it was and the pain just throughout the morning this day just kept going up 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 and when you don't know what it is and it got so bad that like i had my face in the toilet you know i threw up i've never been in <clears throat> that kind of pain that's that much that gives that reaction so at that point yes you're, you're right i did actually experience that i thought this is it i don't know what this is this is it i'm i'm dying um but I'm, then later i'm you with know, you that, i had a kidney stone it's that, awful that, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, now now that you know what it is, like okay, yeah. But when you have no idea that, yeah, that kind of strikes the fear of God in you. Yeah, no, mine was tiny, tiny, like grain of sand type of thing, and it oh. still felt miserable. Yeah, yeah. That's be surprised. So I never yeah, had a kidney I, stone. I, I just had childhood trauma. Right. Right. All right, so moving on from the Beyond Kidney Stones podcast. Beyond Kidney uh, Stone podcast. BKS coming at you live. <laughs> so anyways, at this point is when Talon starts to put things together, that there was no monster chasing Yvette, but Maurice said that there was and always had been. The thing that was chasing her was her own and personal demons. It was her schizophrenia. It was 
her mental issues that were the monster chasing her. It was never me, Maurice. So, uh, and here's where John Luke, the older one in this scene, admits that maybe he never really knew his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think the father has become a scapegoat. I don't think this is the sure. first but media. again, you don't know the whole story here. There might be more to it that brings it back to, oh, so maybe the father could have done more and that he's part of why this is so bad. Mm-hmm. That is why I hope that it's this experience that plays into this lesson he's supposed to learn, right? Because he had his father labeled as the bad guy his right. entire life, but he didn't know the full story. Like, again, with what happened on Stargazer didn't have the full story just went off of what he quote unquote just knows but he was wrong makes sense so I hope that's the tie-in with this whole experience I think the next bit is actually the tie-in so the next little bit that happens is the two old Picards are gone then it's just Talon and the young princeling John Luke Uh, and then she tells him you're going to do so much with your pain you will save worlds with your pain uh, John Luke, the little one, pulls out a key from his pocket, uh, starts walking towards the door where his mom is pleading from behind it, and then gone, end scene, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's supposed to be our hint as to he should have unlocked whatever was going on with that with the faceless queen. Remember, her entire face looked like clock gears shifting and such, right? Yeah. Why this particular scene about, like, a key... I think that that's something that we have to remember. Whatever memory he's got suppressed uh, with his mother behind that door, it should have been something he remembered to understand what the queen was doing. Something there, I think, is what we're looking at. Okay. I can I can go with that. You're frowning at me, uh, Dag. What are you thinking? No, this is not a frown of I disagree. This is a frown of I buy it. Okay, okay, cool, cool. I'll take it. Uh, so back to... Okay, so at this point, uh, Picard regains consciousness, Talon regains consciousness, and they're out of each other's mind. Uh, Rios and Ricardo are drawing on the wall outside with Chuck. Uh, Ricardo drew, like, a big comical rocket ship, and then Rios is drawn La Sirena, and Ricardo calls him a spaceman alien who can make things appear out of thin air. So adorable little childlike scene. Uh, Rios jokingly scolds him about, like, you're not supposed to talk about that, you're supposed to keep your mouth shut, kind of thing. Uh, but I am a human, which is, again, adorable. Uh, Teresa then points out, like, someone who's trying to convince my child that they're human, I should probably not allow them my child. <laughs> the fact that you instincts. have to say you're human means that you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, her instincts are good. Rios tells her that. Um, But he's, again, doing the whole, like, I'm a good guy. You got to trust me. And then he's like, eh, fuck it. You want to see something cool? I know, right? That And that was why I had this whole feeling of he just said fuck it to the whole not corrupting the timeline thing. I mean, so we know that they can wipe memories because that's what they did... With... These aren't the men in black. No, no. They could they did it with Cochrane, remember? Or at least his memories get kind of scrambled so he doesn't remember things. What? No. No, they So we don't do it with Cochrane. We do it with Kern. 
Yeah, it did with we, Kerm, we but not with Cockroach. Our memory. We blast Sarjenka's memory. Uh-huh. We, um... We, we did a lot of memory blasting, just we not did with Cochrane. A lot Cochran. of memory blasting, but Cochrane's fine. I thought they fucked with Cochrane's memory. They didn't fuck with Cochrane's memory. No, it was that. They, they it was that no one Cochran's believed him. Alcoholism. Yes. Yeah. His alcoholism was why he was talking crazy about these these cyborgs from the future, the future, and all that stuff. But yeah. we can skip past that. Yeah, let's get past yeah, yeah. Memory, memory science being what it is, yes, we can absolutely modify their memories. Mm-hmm. Point is, maybe he's going to wipe their memories, maybe not. But either way, he's showing them this Lassie Day Nights, his ship. As soon as they arrive, like, she drops her coffee cup, he drops his rocket ship. Uh, they look around, then Ricardo's like, I'm going to go touch everything, which is my reaction too, <laughs> dude. I get it. Uh. Bad. Don't touch everything when there was Borg on the ship. Oh, yeah, they're going to find that out the hard way. There's <laughs> already a Borg Queen wandering L.A. Like, how much worse could it be in La Sirena? Uh, yeah, I know, right? All right, so cut back to the streets of L.A. Seven and Rafi are trying to find Drati. They found some recording of her from, like, a security camera of her, like, smashing the glass of a bar uh, called Deacon's. Mm-hmm. And Rafi wonders if she's still there. They go to the bar. The place is it's like six or seven in the morning so it's obviously not open for pay- for people uh but they do see the smashed glass everywhere uh which somehow was not swept up yet i mean it's la it doesn't seem crazy that they wouldn't have swept it up in like that same morning mm, you're giving them a lot of credit but okay i think you're giving them too much credit actually that they'd clean up like a broken glass on the street well, I mean, it's that's LA. a hazard. It's, it's LA. Y'all are East Coast, and you've got a bad impression of LA. I know. We Yeah, we must. <laughs> don't yeah. have a good impression of LA. <laughs> you you tell me. So there's li- me. there'd be liability. The, the business would be liable for that class. Yes. If they didn't sweep it up, they'd be liable for any injuries sustained by anybody walking by. So they would have to yes. swept up that glass. That, yeah, that place would not have it wouldn't have closed without someone having gone outside but yeah i think you're right unless of Being course on... gerardi just wrapped everybody up in nests and assimilated them all and they're in the basement somewhere and nobody had the opportunity to clean up that glass because we don't know yet well, we don't know what happened there right maybe she picked up the pool table and threw it at the dude who was playing pool that looked at her and flirted with his eyes oh, right? oh, maybe she Except like that would be the number smashes. one way to get extra endorphins <laughs> yeah because that's what she's going after yeah, maybe that's what she did. Maybe she went and had sex with a dude who looked at her, right? Like, that's something. Yeah, Daggett, you're right. I think for us on the East Coast, we see the West Coast in L.A. as, like, the, the first part of Demolition Man. I got to run. What? That's, that's what <laughs> it's it's... San Angeles. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say that about the West Coast. I just want to say that my experience in, like, suburban L.A., it has always been kind of grody, honestly. <laughs> this isn't even like... suburban. This is, like, downtown L.A. This is, like, the the grody bar, you know, the, the, the what do they call it? Dive those? bar? Dive bar, yeah. This is the dive bar where, like, mm-hmm. smoking is still allowed surreptitiously. Right. Yeah, I, I get all that, but I, I'm sorry. I'm not buying that this glass wasn't swept up. That's why. Whatever. Well, a minor thing, of, sure. What is such a minor thing? The just assimilated the bar crew. It's cool. The plot completely relies on we have to have broken glass on the sidewalk at this point. Okay, whatever. I don't think it really matters much at all, but anyways, 
I mean, uh, honestly, they could have just had Seven do a scan of the temporal residuum, just like they did in the first season, and that would have totally been fine. Yeah, there would have been microparticles of glass there for sure. Yeah. All right, but so we then get this flashback bit where Gerardi actually does it inside. There's an attraction. People start telling her, "Lady, don't. What are you doing?" And then she, she smashes the glass. The her eyes darken again, and we see some more nanoprobes, uh, like visible to her body. Because that's what she's going for. There, she's she's trying to get them to assert dominance over Gerardi. Yep. Okay, so here we get the update of Picard being told about what's going on with Gerardi. Uh, I know this isn't isn't what you wanted to wake up to, but Gerardi's been assimilated. She's got a queen, and she's randomly wandering around L.A., dude. <laughs> so here's what happened while you were unconscious. <laughs> a bored queen in 2024 with no shits to give is a terrifying concept. Oh, yeah. So we have two years. Y'all want to go to L.A. for a sec? Oh, for sure. Uh, 100%. Sign me up. <laughs> go, yeah. See you go then. ahead and assimilate me. We'll meet in Just don't take my in 39 off. years. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we cut back to uh, Talon telling Picard about how Renee is fine. She's in lockdown. No sign of Q. No sign of Adam Sung. At least not yet. Uh, we saved Renee. So your future safe is what she's thinking. Uh, Picard is like not convinced by that uh and then they start talking a little bit about like they've moved beyond personal boundaries at this point so talon's gonna reveal something about herself to him and she does this little hand wavy thing over her ear and suddenly her ear is pointy again and now she reveals that she actually is a romulan and usually the supervisors are tasked to look after their own race but you know if you can pass as the other race the technology will help you accommodate this is the part that I, I had beef with. That. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> tell me your beef. Big I'm kind of hungry. Beef. Where's you the guys, beef? You, you guys tell me. You know me well enough that you can predict what I've got a problem with. I want to see if you can if you can guess it. Go ahead. What do, what do you think I have beef with? If Answer. she ever cuts her hand, she's, dreep, she's dripping green. Well, yes, but actually no. Insert Jeopardy theme here. Uh, why didn't they just use a human? There are many humans they could have used for this. Why wasn't it just Gary Seven again? Mm, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna zing you with this one. What the hell was the point of her pretending like she actually wasn't? Um, uh, what you call it? Romulan. Uh, Eris. She's not Laris. She's not Laris. Laris. She's not Laris. Well, why does she have to be Romulan? Why did? Why suddenly does that matter? I don't know. Because she's probably a descendant of Laris. Other way around. Yeah, an ancestor of Laris. Yeah. Again, so you missed this one, Big J, but I told this one last episode. There is a theory out there that uh, Laris, as we know her in the 25th century, is the same person as Talon. It's just that she has been a supervisor assigned to the Picards for that long, so she's just on her current assignment on the current Picard, watching over john luke like but this is how they actually old met. romulan who knows how how long a supervisor enhanced romulan can last okay i hate I, that theory mind you but it's a theory out there yeah i dislike it there but, the writer's asking for I mean, a lot of good faith on this and i think like, it's a bit much like, why does talon look like Laris? but everybody's over here like why do the soongs all look like brent spiner 
I've had to have that argument this week too. One of my good buddies who's watching Picard is so sick of them reusing actors in Picard. And I'm like, all the Sims look alike. It's just how it is. No, that's a stupid excuse, Renzo. I'm sorry, they just all look alike. I don't have anything else for you, dude. It's, maybe it, they genetically engineered. Maybe they're all clones of each I other. I still maybe. like the idea no. that Adam made his genetics dominant and cloned himself several times, and each clone is briefed on what the previous one did. I, When it comes to the Soons, I think it is pretty outlandish, but I can I can buy it. it to me, that's that part's just like kind of Besides, whatever. Brent but Spiner I, is adamant that he gets to beat Jeffrey Combs for the most characters played in Star Trek. <laughs> I think he's probably beaten that by now. I, I don't just, think anybody's going to pass Michael Dorn, though, for being in the most shows. No. No, we're talking the most different characters. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, no, 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 but Michael Dorn holds the records for most episodes of Star Trek yes. he's been in because he was in 11 seasons of Star Trek. Yeah. I just some of the most shows or episodes. Yeah, I think the the ruse with Talon that that whole thing was more for the for the audience than it was for the story. Very much like in Star Trek Into Darkness, where quote unquote John Harrison revealed who he really was, and to Kirk and Spock's like Don't do this okay to me. that's what what do we care that's your name okay you know Don't whatever Don't do this to me don't bring that up was, the Jar Jar Abrams movies That was do that was for me. the audience that reveal was for the audience it wasn't for the characters in the scene cuz like, who the hell are you I'm, I agree in you, this you make case, it sound though, like we should know who you are we don't In this case though I really feel like it was just a show that Talon is not a trusting person at all. It also shows that Talon was undercover as a human and needed to be because supervisor. Yeah. And I mean, okay. the limitation to her tech is that it's going to take it eight hours to recharge so and, that she can and reassert. That, and that's where I have beef. Yes, I figured. Oh, why, why would she drop her, her cover when it's got an eight hour cooldown, when we're on the brink, on the precipice, the razor's edge, the world razor's edge, if you give me my pun, yeah <laughs> of of a xenophobic earth about to, to 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 go out the last thing that this 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 desolate future needs is to discover that aliens have been amongst earthlings for humans terrans whatever for however many years to just stoke that paranoia right into global unification to eliminate aliens I mean, you're not mm. wrong. If but... Mestral shows up, I'm going to be right. Mm. And we already mm. saw Good. at the end of the episode, there was a big old crazy cameo. We'll get there. You will we'll get, get there, there when we get there. And I don't know if Jay's looked it up or not, but he might be surprised. I don't say anything. Okay. We'll get there when we'll we get, get there. there. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm with you, though, as to like being like a vulnerability of her revealing it, but she does have long hair, so she just like, eh. No, that's fine. She doesn't have a bandana, though. Like, or like a beanie, right? And if the if the punk on the bus can help save the day, that would be great too. That's a stretch, way, but yeah. I I feel like if what was her name to Paul's great 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 foremother? Uh, I don't uh -huh. remember her name either. I forgot her name. 
but I know who you're talking about. Same same yes. episode. Car uh, yeah, she could also hide her Carbon hair. Creek. Yeah, Carbon Creek. She could also hide her pointed ears with her hair for like years, maybe that she was there. Who knows? Months at the very least. I feel like you know, Tamir. That was her name, Tamir. Yeah. Uh, if... And another character who reprised the role of an ancestor who looks the same. Yes. Totally right. okay. Jol totally Jolene Blaylock. Okay. We have precedent. It's not an issue. Some humans have fucked up ears. She's got a fucked up ear. Move on. Hey, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Got, got head caught in a Chinese rice scraping machine. <laughs> That's probably not a modern day appropriate excuse anymore, but... It was 1930. No one going to believe it then. Okay, uh, but yeah, so she hides her truth, covers her ears with her hair. Uh, Picard goes, aha, I knew it. You must be an ancestor or something. So good bit story there. Um, okay. Ancestor. Okay. I, I don't know why I didn't think that is giving him a little bit of credit, but yeah. I mean, it's a decent enough explanation, except for the fact that they really do look identical. Like, a little drift is probably a bit but more realistic. So but like what Dag said, there's father, precedent. Foremother, all of the songs. Um, yeah. Truth. Sheesh. Maybe just Vulcanoids just kind of look a lot like their parents, except for Spock and Cybok. But yeah. And Michael Burnham. The Spock line definitely is distinct all the way from Scum, Solkar, Sarek, Spock. Yeah. So the only, the really interesting thing about the scene though is at the end where Talon and Picard are discussing like, why did he go through this? Was this part of the lesson that Q wanted you to learn? Uh, his mother at one point told him there's no better teacher than one's enemy and he thinks that that's what's going on here Q did want him to learn this I don't know if Q wanted him to learn this because Q is a trickster god but it seems an interesting suggestion that it might be related to why they're going through all this well that's another thing that I've, I've kind of noticed in this season to me that seemed kind of odd is that Q just noped the hell out of the whole situation like he's not really involved in what he's doing like he was in Tapestry or Q Encounter at Farpoint or Q or, or in any of previous he Q episodes. He doesn't have his powers here though right like something's wrong something is wrong with Q uh -huh. so I don't know. We there's more info to be revealed here, to be honest. I don't yeah. know. So uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting that they're trying to figure out Q's motivations just as much as we, the audience, are. And I like that. But and especially when we get to the last scene, which I'll oh, yeah. expand we're, on we're, more. We're, we're there. three scenes away from it at this point. So okay. Okay. So our next bit is Picard goes to Ten Forward uh, Avenue to meet with Guinan. Uh, he apparently just kind of like presumes their friendship. He doesn't even say hello, nothing. So Guinan like calls him on it. And I love the acting from uh, Ito, I believe is the actress's name, uh, Agayure. She does an incredible job of being uh, Guinan in this scene. Mm -hmm. uh, but so the point of this scene is Picard's asking her to summon a cue. And she's like, 
are you sure you want to summon a Q of all things? We get a little bit of interesting Elorian history that there was a cold war between the Elorians and the Q Continuum. They struck a truce. The way that they sign the peace treaty is by recording the moment's sound inside of a bottle. And that's how they can summon it, or summon a Q, rather. Uh, some Qs. This goes back to the episode where they ran into each other in TNG, right? Some cues are more respectable than others, so she's definitely had experience with various ones. So she, we just know she doesn't like John Delancey Q at all. I really, really like the uh, further exploration of the relationship with Elorians and the Q. I, I'm glad that there was. I'm glad that there was. I still am not sure how how there was equal enough in a way that it was a cold war that there was a truce or something that needed to happen what what is it about elorians that the q continuum was was brought to a negotiation table they're they're the Q. It was like they don't have to bother with any of that, but with the Elorians, they do. What? El- why? Elorian time sense screwing with the Q's plans to do stuff. That's the best thing that I can acknowledge. We don't know a whole lot about Elorian powers. Right. But we do know that even by 24th century, Q is ready to like duke it out with dining in a bar yeah they're about to throw hands in a a bar fight and he's not looking super confident he looks like he's ready for it but he doesn't look like he's like excited to do it or anything it's not like it's gonna be and he tries to outsource it to picard and be like picard get rid of her get her off your ship now (laughs) yeah she's an imp right (laughs) so yeah no it's it's i don't know why the Elorians terrify the q my headcanon for the longest time has been something along the lines of their listener abilities Right. If and this kind of backs it up a little bit in the scene. If you think of space as having like a sound or a chord or a vibration, mm-hmm. right? Think of it as like it's quantum signature. Maybe the Lorians are able to like thicken the space between dimensions or thin it at their will, and by thickening it, they nullify the Q's powers or something. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that I need to know that particular detail they, they, I'm, it's they just won't honestly no probably won't it, to me it's good enough that there is an acknowledgement that there is a thing between the Elorian and the Q I don't need the details I'm just glad that there's actually history an acknowledgement there. to it, it yeah yes. it's not just more random musings but yeah it, this was a pretty interesting scene yeah. just the scene where she uncorks the, the bottle of peace and then yells screams along with it making some pretty unearthly sounds uh and then no cue yeah and that was supposed to work and that further gets me on the side of of thinking that q has lost his powers yep but what adam soon has to do with it and what putting picard in this situation has to do with that that still escapes me but it seems to be we don't know why but we know q has lost his powers again yeah it's not the first time he's done this right and this may be natural causes who knows i i don't know 
yeah, maybe this just happens to cues of a certain age. Maybe there's a Viagra equivalent he's trying to get soon. Like wanna wanna know something that probably only I and maybe a couple of other people would notice in this scene? What's that? Uh, at the end of it, when nobody shows up, Guinan is holding a glass. Yeah. And it's a very Star Trek looking glass. It's probably a vase used as a prop, as they are oft to do. Uh, but that glass type is the same glass type that Guinan was using when she was mixing the beverage in 10 Forward in Time Zero when she was convincing Picard that he had to go on the away mission or they would never meet. Another time travel episode reference. Or that they just have those props everywhere like they do with the the, the thing that's got the red lights on it, the cylinder, it's, uh, the, it's you know un- what I'm talking about. It's unintentional that Guinan and Picard are in a time travel episode at a bar, and the glass that is the same glass that she had in Time Zero is not this glass. And I can see Renzo's lights flickering. He's like, I'm with you. Looking it. He's yeah, looking I'm it looking up. at it. He's like, <laughs> I want to see this glass now. Yeah. Be but right. It's, it's just me who was like, I think it was a Sumerian sunset or something that she was trying to mix, and it was very delicate, and she punctuated her point, like, if you don't go on this mission, we'll never meet, by destabilizing the ingredients and it evaporating in the glass. Mm-hmm. It was a very important moment there. Uh, and Readily available prop or an actual message? You decide. A meaningful tie-in. Audience, you decide. <laughs> Either way. The scene is pretty cool, but the I think at the very end of the scene where Guinan looks legitimately confused is kind of telling, right? Like, we don't know how many times she's had to summon a cue, but it has always worked, and it's like the symbol of their truce. Suddenly, the thing doesn't work. Does that mean that their truce is broken too? Like, there's, there's implications of the scene, and it looks like Guinan is just starting to figure it out. So the summoning, does it just summon, it just summons a cue? Can you specify which cue you want Corbin to have Burson, show up? It says your friendly neighborhood cue. It's either going to be Corbin Burson or what's her name from from Amanda? Olivia Diabo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm just sad that Susie Plaxon didn't show up because I love her cue. Aww. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was not talking about the puppy. <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so cut to our next scene. We've got Raffi and Seven continuing their search for uh, for Gerardi. Uh Here's where they're actually outside of Deacon's and, like, in the shattered glass, or looking at the shattered glass in the walkway. Uh, she grabs, like, a random glass. Beard- bottle and like throws it on the ground uh and that's when she realizes that it was about giving herself an endorphin rush Mm -hmm. which allows for the nanoprobes inside of gerardi to circulate faster and take over more of her body uh raffi asks how long until she's strong enough to begin assimilating people seven doesn't know it's a very honest kind of answer uh but this is an entirely new kind of borg queen who's going to start a new borg empire starting with earth uh, long before humanity is able to defend itself. Um, so that's when Seven goes. They may have just doomed the future by bringing her back here and that they need Picard's help. Yeah, they... Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say. Time yeah. travel! This is what happens. Yeah. 
Star Trek. They did, first, you, first contact. First, first contact. You did it to yourself. That's what you did. You are the reason for your downfall. It's like a, a predestination paradox. Again, <coughs> kind of. Time travel is just, oh my God, uh -huh. gives me a headache. Yeah, everybody. I think that's kind of the point. They like that's, it. yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, so cutting back to Guinan and Picard, uh, they're talking about how normally when an Orion summons a Q, a Q appears. It's just how things go. And then the doors, bells at the uh, beginning of the bar, like ring. And Picard goes, is it, is it Q? And then she puts up her hands like my background shows and the whole stance from a Q Q tapestry. Oh, Q -Hoo? No, Q Hoo? Yeah, Q Hoo. Okay, and then is like, nope. So just a random guy comes in, the brown suit. Uh, he looks kind of nondescript. Uh, and he says that he's celebrating and just asks for one drink. And then, you know, Guinan relents and she has to figure out like what he wants to drink uh he looks like the kind of guy who would order a bourbon when he really just wants a nice white wine to cozy up with some boring ass nonfiction. uh the man chuckles and was like yeah i mean i'll take the white wine but it wouldn't be nonfiction." <laughs> uh, he enjoys I... science fiction i'm gonna say <clears throat> bullshit so i mean not not every i mean that that's a little too accurate for a bartender. You just walk in. She's been <laughs> serving drinks for hundreds of years. Come on, give her some credit. I've been given a lot of credit for this episode already. I'm You're like, I'm out of, I'm out credit. of credit to give. It's easy to predict what the basic white guy is going to order at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's boring, middle-aged white dude in a brown suit that looks like a civil servant. She has, yeah. she about had right. two choices. White wine or Lacroix? <laughs> no, he's definitely gay. He doesn't. He doesn't give off gay vibes, so not the Lacroix. <laughs> so I have to ask. I'll I, bet you she's got a quite a gaydar. I gotta honestly. ask. I, I yeah. know Redzo. I know you know the answer to this. So just don't, don't, don't do anything. But Jay, do you recognize this guy? I do. You do. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I do gonna, recognize the guy. We're gonna get there then. Can I just, say it yet? Just, no. We're, no, we're, we're about gonna, to get. Okay. We're about to get there. We're almost gonna get. We're there. almost there. All okay. right. So at this point, when he's talking about how much he likes uh, science fiction, uh, he pulls out a cell phone, shows a video of Picard beaming into the the hallway or a, a, an alley. The alleyway. Uh, yeah, like a little alley or some shit. Uh, and then Guinan immediately starts laughing, and Picard starts laughing too about how she's got this glitchy camera and how it would show people appearing out of nowhere. And the man's like yeah oh okay then he pulls out his fbi badge and the place gets raided by fbi agents with guns and picard grabs his comm badge and chucks it into the corner while they are cuffed and taken into custody end of episode and i was really mad and that's that's how we we closed the loop on when we were talking about like Rios beaming away, and I was defending it by saying, like, they don't know what's happening there. He's just a beam of light. He disappears. They don't know if he's actually gone somewhere else or if he's just dead. Well, now we have the other side of the loop. We can see people appearing out of these beams of light, so we know that they're they're teleporters of some kind, and the 
the FBI would absolutely want that, especially if we had someone like this guy who we might speculate who he might really be. Hold on, though, right? Like, we know that the the supervisors and such have been on Earth for decades, right? At and least they 60 don't years. Use, yeah, and they don't use teleporters that are shiny and shimmery. No, instead they have this, like, cloudy smoke cube that comes up behind you and then swallows you and through you go. And a bank vault door. Yeah, it looks like a bank vault door, right? Really kind of creepy. Uh, how have they never been caught? What is different about their tech that gets them to sleep, to snipe through this without getting caught? Flashy thing. Okay, so the neuralizer is really cool, and Star Trek should have. <laughs> did, did you ever flashy thing me? No. no. Come on, Kay. I play with you, Kay. Did you ever flashy thing me? No. No. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, man, what a class actor. All right. Movie. So, so the reveal real. that that Dag has been hinting at for the last twenty minutes. Yeah. Jay. Okay, so I know what you guys are talking about. Yes, I, I get that. It's the uh, we're tying it into the the fact that okay, this this character may be the one that this actor played in Voyager, who was like the first officer on the uh, uh, timeship Relativity. Um. Okay, so here's here's what I'll say about that. One of the other things that Star Trek has set as a precedent, uh, in addition to all the Sooms or Brent Spiner, yes, yeah. reusing actors, which it's kind of like they're, they're able to use a misdirect that they didn't intend on having. It just ended up getting built into the franchise that actors have been reused in different roles. So now I mean, that when... We've got the. We already talked about it. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs has done it. We've seen Robin Curtis twice. Yep. Um, you know, and even in this season, in the very, I think the first episode, when that admiral shows up at Picard's estate and is like, "There's a weird voice calling out to you. You need to go investigate it." The actress who plays that admiral was a transporter chief on TNG 35 years ago, and she's not the same character. So right. there is a precedent to say, yes, we reuse actors. And also, just because we reuse actors decades apart doesn't mean they're playing the same character. Right. And that's why it's it's very hard for me to say that this is the same character or someone different. It's because of that precedent that Trek has used the same actors in different parts so i don't know i so oh none of, of us course, know quick none poll. of us know yeah sure. it could just it could just be it's the quick same actor poll. that's it in quick in poll. the story here here mm -hmm. i'm gonna ask it here but audience also comment in the chat jay renzo just raise your hand do you want this to be a new character yes do you want this to be the captain of the relativity yes <laughs> for those of you listening uh that is uh, uh all three of us uh are in agreement there um yeah okay so, so I unanimous that, that we wanted yeah here's why i think he actually is so again this may be misdirection you're completely right big yeah, j and Dad, it might be. Theme behind this but <laughs> the name of the agent is agent wells right and the relativity oh, was a, it says it in the credits, 
the relativity is a Wells class time ship. Yeah. Yes. And Agent Wells kind of sounds like H.G. Wells. Exactly. The author of the time machine. Yeah. Come on. No, I it's mean, so good. It's and, it's great, but it's all it could also just be an intentional production misdirect. Well, like they got to get I, meta so the audience is one step ahead of them. Yeah, I I think one thing that um, <clears throat> supports the theory of him being the same character was just how much he was calling bullshit to anything they were saying. There was no, in, I don't think this word incredulity, incredulous, the, the like, the, he wasn't buying it for a second. Right. Anything they were saying. He carried himself like he knew exactly what he was looking at. Man, it would be way haven't interacted cool. much with the FBI, have you? I mean, uh, that's no. true. The FBI <laughs> persists on not giving a damn about what you say because we're going to take you in and figure it out under controlled circumstances. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. who work at the three letters tend to have like, like a serious, you can't, you can't get anything past me kind of button, right? Yeah. It's an act. Really obviously. The CIA but... don't have a sense of humor we're aware of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic, and I love the the preponderance of evidence that has been post that has been suggested here. Uh, am I going to be disappointed if it's not? No, it's just going to be a regular FBI thing instead of a possible. You have an al a Federation ally embedded in a power position that can really help here. Mm -hmm. But if it's him, how does the timeline justify that? So the only way I can think of it is, do you remember with Anorax, right? When he yeah. would erase whole planets and like civilizations from time, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they had, had temporal a... shielding. Yeah. Okay, we've heard that temporal shielding exists for the relativity as well. They even say it, the temporal shielding is buffeting, I believe mm -hmm. is the line. So maybe he was in the process of on a mission transporting down when the change happened in the 29th century or wherever, and as a result, he transported back in time and then much like in City on the Edge of Tomorrow when he called back to see hey what's going on up there his ship was gone but he'd already made the trip well and it's also and a he's little been stuck here for however long it's also a little I mean that that brings back like past tense where they transported back in time through a chronoton field in defiance a blade of armor and then also um, the, the future's end where uh, Captain, Captain Braxton Captain got, Braxton stuck, got in the 60s. stuck in the 60s. Right. So, like, who knows how long he's been here? He might have been here for decades. Well, he's definitely decades older than the last time we saw him. And if he sees seven and there's recognition there, well, there has to be. He was there when they had that mission sending her back in time over and over to Utopia yeah, Planitia. No, they whatever. absolutely have. She, yeah. This is a critical moment in her development. She absolutely has to remember this guy if they see each other. That'll be the this, litmus test. This is, and I have a problem with why this is a problem. Why, if there's this secrecy that has to be maintained of their mission, who they are, what they're doing, why is there any beaming in in an open public area? Because Let's just pretend that they don't. Over it. <sighs> Remember, when they beamed off of La Sirena the first time, the ships 
sensors were all still screwy. It's why Rios ended up a floor, like a flight of stairs up off the ground and fell to its near death. Right. right? Like they didn't have much control over it. They needed to stop. They needed to stop whatever's causing their future. They're willing to take some risks for that. So he, but every, when that happened, when the group split up in beam, they pretty much like no one ended up where they thought they were going to go. It was just a crapshoot. Like you're just, you're going to beam somewhere. Good luck. You guys have to find each other. Uh, and, and that's where Rios takes a, takes a header uh, in midair, but this beam in for Picard looked like it was very accurate enough because it was exactly where he needed to be. Why the hell not beam him into uh, a, a building, some, something where you're not taking a chance on people seeing you? Again, that was the same episode where, or the episode right after. Remember, that was just before Gerardi starts playing on her own, right? Mm-hmm. Like she or he still wasn't completely confident on the La Sirena. I don't know why you'd want to beam into like a building that might have cameras inside the building just as easily as there are in a hallway or in an alleyway. In fact, there's probably more cameras inside of buildings well, looking at the door than there would be in an alleyway. Also, mm. if they hadn't have been hampered the entire step of the way, they would have been over and done with this a lot sooner. Yeah. Instead, they had to find Rios. Rios had a concussion, got fixed up, got sent out on an ice thing. I mean, there's been all kinds of, of significant delays in in their their mission here that we just didn't have in Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four, it was like, all right, we're gonna get the whales, you guys get the plastic, and you guys uh, regenerate the get the regenerating photons. Good, done, mm-hmm. go. The 1986 well, also did not have the preponderance of surveillance equipment like we do now. You're right. You're right. I don't like, know. They did not even know that there were this many surveillance equipment, right? Like records on the twenty on the early parts of the twenty first century are very spotty, so they may not even have realized just how much surveillance there would be. Well, and they may not know that's a thing at all. They don't have that in the twenty fourth century. No, nope. there seems to be there have been many arguments online about how the twenty fourth century seems to be a lot more respectful of people's privacy in that they don't have cameras everywhere, so it's not just something encultured into them that there are cameras everywhere because it's a completely different society it's a then. foreign it's a foreign way of thinking that the people that you are walking with working with living with on a day-to-day basis want to do you harm that's mm-hmm. just not something they think about in a world that is post scarcity and all your needs are met through a little box that you just tell it what you want and it gives you what you want even if what you really want is to zig a zig ah <laughs> Boo! All right, Liz, uh, you're you know, you're done. Turn off the. <laughs> yeah, we do. We need to get out of here. That was. <laughs> Dag, we're gonna put you in the cancel culture box. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like either it. way, as far as the episode is concerned, I think it was pretty good. I don't think it was amazing. I do think that they've drawn out some of these storylines a little longer than they fucking need to at this point. Yeah. Uh, but it's not bad. I do like the references. I like the way that they're showing us that, you know, your trauma doesn't define you, but it doesn't also help you. It's not like what makes you, it's just a part of you, etc. So there's good stuff here, bad stuff there. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what they do with uh, uh, Lieutenant Duquesne or Agent Wells, if he's the same person or not. Mm. So we'll see. I think 
that oh, and I James had James Callis to... was amazing. Sorry, forgot that one. James oh, Callis yeah, was amazing. Yeah. 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 He was great. I for me uh, for me personally, I think that this episode required a little bit too much of giving credit or suspension just, of disbelief or, or, or a little bit too much suspension of disbelief it, it's like yes i have i come in with a certain allotment of credits you know i've, I've got some gold press latinum for every episode that says okay here i'm going to give you credit for things that are completely like broken glass on a sidewalk that doesn't get swept up immediately i've got stuff i can give you here here's your credit on that here's suspension of disbelief but my bag ended up being empty at the end of this episode and when it's empty then i think that okay there was too much that it took here uh it's it's a bit on the slow side i really feel like this episode dragged out the the whole picard and his youth thing more than it needed to so i would have to say that in my opinion this feels like one of the weaker episodes so far of this season i trying to think what ranking i would give it i hell if i know i mean it's maybe six out of ten i I can't even think of something witty to to tie into the ranking from you know this episode i just i think it was just very very average it's three capricas out of six Oh, that was my chance. Oh, it was right there in front of me. Shit. Yeah. What about you, Dag? Uh, 45 minutes out of a one-hour therapy session. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you give it a three out of four. That's not. That's better than me or Big J, it sounds like. so. No, but it is still on the lower end of our, our things. And another thing is, like, we're talking about this from our perspective. There may be people out there who have more to deal with in terms of childhood trauma that really really felt something in this episode this was really powerful for them um but maybe that aspect isn't resonating with the three of us as it could with a lot of other people i don't i don't have a problem with that that's not the part i have a problem with i i totally get that i just feel like with the limited number of episodes in the season. How many episodes are in the season? Picard? Yes. Ten? <laughs> three more. Three more. You've got we've got three more episodes. I feel like we haven't gotten far enough into the mystery of Q and Aaron Soon. And and now this the whole thing with this agent guy, I just I just feel like one And the butterfly crates? And yeah, and the butterfly crates. I think that not only do we not have any real sufficient answers to mysteries that we had before, you're adding more on. You're just falling for the red herrings, Jay. I, right, I know. But we've got we've got three episodes left. Was did they? I think they spent more time than they needed on the whole uh, Picard, the childhood thing. I'm not I'm not trying to lessen. I'm not trying to lessen the topic of childhood trauma. I I get that. I know it's important. I just think that for this late in the season where you've really not explained anything, you're you're stretching out 
the big reveal, it just feels like, you know, we, we don't, we don't have time for all of this. It could have been shorter in my opinion. I could be alone in that opinion. No, I don't it think, just, I don't disagree. I, I do feel like the season is kind of stretching on, but I'm also trying to wrap my mind around, okay, what are the character development moments that are happening here that are going to play into the end of the season? And mm-hmm. hoping that we get the payoff. Again, when we were on Picard Season 1, Episode 7, we were saying the same thing. We just finished Nepenthe. Like, oh, yeah. The, know, the re- regroup and lick yeah. our wounds yeah. episode. I mean, Nepenthe, as nostalgically cool as it was, just stretched the episode, stretched the drama, not stretched the drama another episode out. And we still didn't get a conclusion until episode 10 when I was hoping and praying that all the things would pay off and I was severely disappointed. So here we are again, two years later. Yeah. Let's hope hope it pays off. Let's hope it pays off. Yeah, I I do. I just... I just have a funny feeling that the last episode is going to be where everything's just compacted all together. I mean, but that's been the Trek tradition for 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 since Discovery since launched streaming. Basically. Yeah, since streaming, yeah. basically. Yeah. Well, I didn't feel like the season of Discovery really did that. It it did feel more of hmm. they they evened out the whole subject of the season. That I it believe seemed I remember even. you saying at least a couple times that when are we finally going to meet 10C? When are when are we going to get to see 10C? in the first yeah. like seven episodes and then in the last three we finally did well right yes same thing they, it just they backloaded all the answers it just feels like they it it feels more evenly distributed what discovery did this season than what picard is doing this season so far i'm not seeing quite that even distribution of things it, it's like it's just you have this wave like it, no, it starts I out hot and heavy it goes real low and then with three episodes left we're going to introduce this major wrinkle of the fbi getting involved She's and a person that may be the same one from the, the relativity i, I don't I, think I it's don't actually a wrinkle i like i want it to be duquesne i don't think it actually is gonna be right like there's not enough time to introduce that twisty bit honestly I think that there was a that they barely had enough time to introduce the whole supervisor being the same as Gary Seven bit. They haven't done anything to really dive into it, so they probably just won't because they don't have the time. I think that they ended in like uh, uh, future Starfleet time travel bureau into things too. There's even less time for that. I don't know. I don't think it. I don't think that happened. But we're running on late and rambling here. I'm. Yeah. I'm definitely open to seeing what the rest of the season brings. I hope you two are as well. We have. A- tons of speculation still outstanding for the next three episodes of Star Trek Season 2 Star Trek Picard Season 2 and uh, if you are still with us in the audience we thank you for always going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast Hey everybody, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne-Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast.
We are Beyond Chart Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious trip content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile. <laughs>